Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Base Cafe with Holly and Dean. I'm Holly. And I'm Dean. And today we are going to talk about the importance of saying yes to the gig and why the best ability is availability. Right? Yes, absolutely. And we're also going to be talking about once you get in that band, what is your role in that band? Because it's still very important to make sure that you know not to step on anybody's toes. <laughs> and if you do step on anyone's toes and you want to stand your ground, you just have to understand that there might be repercussions, right? Yeah, we exactly. all know that. So for me in specific on this topic, um, as we've established, I started playing guitar as my main instrument. But I had a bass alongside that instrument since almost day one. And oddly enough, I have gone on tour as a guitar tech. And then in a last minute effort, I, um, I got pulled on stage to play guitar because a guitar player had to leave. But every other U.S. tour that I've done, um, other than that one band, has been on bass. Um, I played bass for a band called The Independence. I played bass for a band called Children of October. Um, I played bass for Michael Graves, for a former singer of The Misfits. And then I played bass for Nita Strauss. And in a whole bunch of those scenarios, I wasn't really, like, prepared to take on that gig, right? Like, I'm sure you've had issues like that, right? Like, were you ever yeah. just, like, nervous about saying yes to the gig? Yeah, my first gig, I didn't really, I wasn't really playing bass or I didn't even think about playing bass, but somebody asked me to play bass and I thought, well, I really want to be in a band and I want to learn how to play music. So why not say yes to playing the bass? And here I am now. <laughs> and, you know, and there's so many avenues too, because people have to realize that the world operates multidimensionally, right? So I'm a guitar player and... When I said yes to playing in, in the independence, I was actually supposed to go on tour and play for um, a band called Black Cat Attack. There was this tour called the Double Trouble Tour in 2015. And I was getting hired by Black Cat Attack to do like the, the second half of the tour. Um, their guitar player had to leave. Uh, his name's Dave Brown Sound. He plays guitar in some 41 and in the interim, he was he's a part of this band, Black Cat Attack, but some 41 had gigs and he had to be there for them. So they brought me on. And for six weeks, I was preparing for this tour for six weeks um, of going around the United States playing guitar for lead guitar for this band in place of Dave Brownstown, one of the smoothest guitar players, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen that dude play guitar, but next time you see like some 41 live or anything, just watch Dave's hands. Like 70% of that gig was me trying to just play as smooth as him. It wasn't even so much about the songs because the songs were hard at parts and whatever, but I just wanted to, when I played them, I just wanted to play them and look like, like his hands just look like they flowed. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe that. Right. Um, it's just comfort and like knowing your shit. Um, but I said yes to this gig and it kind of actually funny enough saying yes to that gig got me fired from Darrow chemical company. Um, and then when half of black cat attack couldn't get in for the tour, 
there was this band, the independents who they were sharing a bass player, right? So they didn't have a bass player for their tour. So since black cat attack couldn't come in, the independent, the independents could not find anyone in four days notice to take off for six weeks to play bass. So evil, the singer called me up and he goes, yo, I know that you were planning on like going on tour to play guitar, but he's like, would you, we can't find anyone to fill in. So would you want to, they didn't know me at all. They're like, would you want to play bass for us? I was like, sure. And like, I had known of the band. Yeah. Um, they used to be managed by Joey Ramone. Like I've known of them, but I couldn't like name a song at that point. Right. And so I had three days to learn 21 songs on bass. And I got flown into Atlanta and then we drove to Pensacola on the very first night of the tour too. After learning 21 songs in three days, Evil, the singer, called a song that was a crowd requ request called Fire and Ice. And I had, it was not on my list. And he kind of just like looked at me and he's like, all right, well, this one's called fire and ice. And then, and then I just took the lead, you know, like I, cause bass is that, that cool thing where you can kind of slide in. And so I like, I listened to the guitar player start and it was like just two notes. So I was able to kind of like, Whoa, there's the note. Oh, there's the other one. Sweet. And I was able to like, kind of like get through. Right. Um, and after learning 21 of the songs, I got to know a couple of like the ideas of how they moved from like verses to chorus and stuff. So that some wherewithal, but it was still unnerving. Yeah. Saying yes to that gig got me um, to play for this other band called Children of October, who were two band members who also used to fill in in this band. And they were actually the ones that recommended me for this gig. So it's like, I played in all these shows, uh, all these shows with these bands. I shook hands. I, you know, it, uh, made myself part of the community and I was getting recommended for gigs because I said yes to the gigs. My whole life changed. Um, yeah. 916 custom guitars. I, I, I'm wearing this shirt by mistake with this story. Um, but that's how my, my endorsement started with, with 916 pickups. Um, which led to me having my own signature guitar pickup for six, seven and eight string guitar is because I said yes to this gig playing bass for the independence. That gave me experience playing in children of October gave me experience. Again, I just saw an ad from these that these guys were putting up looking for a touring bass player. I sent them an email and sent them a DM on like uh, Facebook. I'm like, Hey man, you know, like I don't have anything going on. Like, do you guys still need a bass player? And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. We were thinking about asking you, but we didn't know. So I said yes to that. Um, I got a three days notice to play bass for Michael Graves. They were looking around for a bass player. Couldn't find one. They had issues with their other bass players. And I actually that I was like, I knew the guys. So I was like, yeah, like. Just. Do you want me to go on tour with you like, like that? Like, like. And I had to I had to audition and I had to do videos I, like I filled in on one tour last minute and then I still had to go through the audition process for the second tour did that said yes to that. Um, that kind of. That that like uh, characteristic of my of me with learning songs and going on tour and learning the ropes and going on the road and doing all this stuff 
That led to me working with Angel Vivaldi. And I got offered by him after telling him a couple of these tour stories and him seeing stuff that I'd done and knowing me from, you know, the scene, because I was in all these different bands popping my head up, you know. Um, he offered me to play in his band. And even though I got cut from playing in his band two weeks before the tour, um, I, it, I still wound up playing bass for Nita Strauss. And there's a there's a story. There's a long story, but I don't want to talk too, too much about all the specifics. Right. But I will gladly tell everyone. I just want Holly to talk because otherwise <laughs> I'll just be here the whole time talking. <laughs> um, but that directly led to me playing bass for Nita Strauss, which directly led to me getting hired by Static X. And I'll tell you, Static X, I, I had to make a fire decision like I was in Texas the last night of the tour, I was ready to go home. I had a plane ticket with my name on it. I'd been on the road for six weeks. And on the very last show, Static X asked me to drive their merch truck. Cool. And I had a show with one of my other bands, the same band that fired me in 2015. Yeah. Um, I said yes to this gig and semi jeopardized that band, but like I had to make the right opportunity. I had to say yes to the right gig. Yeah. And that was hard. It was hard to call up my friends and be like, Hey man, I'm not going to make this, this really important show because well, I got six weeks worth of work making good money. So, you know, uh, it sucks. I had to make that call. Static X, I busted my ass on that tour. I was hired as a driver and did a whole bunch of extra work, stuff that was not required of me. I stayed late and showed up early and busted my ass and asked everyone if they needed help. I studied their stage setup, man. Like I'd never seen it for me. It, it wasn't right. But it, their setup was so big that it felt like I was watching like Metallica every single night, like set up or every yeah. single day. Right. Because they had so much shit that. Loading was nine and 10 in the morning. Like that's how much stuff they had, you know, every single night. Saying yes to that, working on that, got me hired by Prong, uh, an agnostic front. And I met a bunch of people there. Um, you know, you get a gig, you take phone numbers, you shake hands, you get along with as many people as you can. Yeah. Um, I didn't get along with everyone on every tour all the time, but I got along with most of the people most of the time and that's all you can really do you know sometimes you just life's rough on the road yeah and that led to me being now like whenever we're allowed to tour again i'm gonna be guitar teching for danzig hopefully right like i was supposed to but tours got canceled last year well, whatever comes comes up because you're <clears throat> now in that 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 rank of working with these types of people and that's you can see just from your story of like where you started. The yeah, I started I started saying this band that you don't know of up until yeah. Danzig. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that's what it is like you can't yeah. climb the ladder if you're not saying yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't you can't say yes if you have fear. And that's a big part of it is a lot of people have fear to say yes, because they feel like they're not going to be capable of doing what the neck the last person did which is BS. <laughs> you know, secret is every single gig that I got offered last minute and said yes to and took off and went on tour. Um, I was nervous as all hell 
first few shows for sure. I I wasn't really like I wouldn't have considered myself a bassist before 2015. Once I like, yes, I had played in bands and rehearsed with bands and played bass in bands. And I was even had a four song demo where I was playing a six string bass. I still didn't really consider myself a bassist because I like I only played a handful of shows like that. Right. But when the independents hired me, their stuff wasn't all just like root notes. They're, that's a horror ska band. So there was bass line after bass line. Really nice, pretty bass lines too. Yeah. And they told me like, don't worry about it. Like just, you could just play root notes. Like it's fine. And I did on the first few nights, you know, because I had such, little time but i on that tour and i'm i'm pretty synonymous with this um normally but on that tour every single night before i played an hour set with the independents an hour and a half before the set i would play the full hour long set and yeah. and and practice and go through and learn and see if i couldn't learn something else and make myself better yeah. you know um, yeah. And in every gig, I did as good as I possibly could. And that all leads to another gig. And in order to say yes to some bands, I did have to say no to other bands. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that's a good problem to have. Right. And all this whole journey, all those bands. Um, and, and it's funny, that band, Darrow Chemical Company, they hired me because of this band, Dark... Darkness Descends, wherever it is, this mm -hmm. way, there it is, which um, we're filming this on the 13th and it's nine years to the day of me doing that album with those guys. And it was me playing seven string in this band. Like it, every, every single thing in my career has, I could draw a straight line from the beginning all the way to right now. You know, I know Holly because I said yes and was on that Nita Strauss tour, busted my ass, got hired for a second one and met Holly in Dallas yeah. and shot the shit at a bar. And here we are now, like yeah. saying yes, just pushes you forward. Sometimes other things will fade out, but if you keep, if you don't keep saying yes, eventually you're not going to have any jobs. You know, <laughs> like, right. you can't, you can't be picky in the beginning. You need to get out there and get experience. And you also really want to, I mean, you, you want to have people that you're, you want to work with, but sometimes you just need to say yes to get your name to get yourself out there. I wasn't known as a, a musician at all because I really wasn't. I wasn't known as a bassist, but I started messing around on my computer with loops and arrangements, and someone recognized that. And they'd also seen me kind of try to play instruments, you know, on my own before. And they knew that I had something, and so they he took a chance on me. But I said, I remember the exact moment when he's like, "You want to play bass?" And I said, "Yeah." I mean, it's just like I didn't even think about it. I, I thought maybe for a slight second, "Oh crap, this means I'll be in a band." Great. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And. And it yeah. comes with pressure, went, right? Mm -hmm. It yeah, comes with it pressure. pressure. I went home that night. I had rehearsal the next day. I didn't know any of the songs. He sent me the songs, but they were on a, a you know, the, the, the sound was really bad. I had no idea how to match frequencies. I didn't know any of this stuff. All, all I knew was E, A, D, and G <laughs> on, my, on the bass. And so it was just hours and hours and hours. And I, I would wake up 
before gigs, after I've established that I could play in a band, I'd wake up before gigs. Uh, that day I would, I would do all of the songs and maybe two or three times I'd run through them. And just like, you know, just like in, in, with all my bands, uh, even Zeparella, before I get up on stage when I was learning the songs or when I'm learning a new song, I play that song three or four times before I play it that night. It's to lock it in. It's to Yeah, and, and Nita has that rule of thumb too, you know, like especially if you're learning things last minute, five times without a mistake before you move on, right? I love that rule. That's a hard rule to discipline yourself to, especially if you're playing something really difficult because yeah. sometimes you get through it once and you're like, yeah, yeah, but how our brains work is if we do it wrong, we're going to remember it wrong. So we have yep. to take that time to to do that. Um, so my my second band I was in, um, we were going to go and start a new band. From, half of the my first band was starting a new band. And this girl came from California, uh, Kess, my old singer in Honey. Uh, she's from Australia, but she'd come from California to watch uh, me play. Uh, the, in this band, um, her friend had brought her and she was just, she knew that she wanted to start a band with me. Um, and so because she knew more about music theory and that's what I really wanted to start learning, I went with her and she moved in with me. We lived together. We, we started a band together. And, I mean, the rest is history, but uh, like we, we had a mutual like respect for each other of learning. And then when I got to the point where I wanted to learn more, I joined a cover band. And it was a lot of times just a two piece. And that's really great for a bassist because you learn how to um, how to fill in parts. And uh, that's I, like I never joined a cover band. Right. And I'm from New Jersey and there's more cover bands in New Jersey than there is any kind of original band. Right. L.A. has tons of cover bands, but they also have boatloads and boatloads of like original musicians. I never really played in cover bands, but um, I've joined all these established bands. Yeah. So it's not like I was the bass player on any of these albums on any of yeah. these tours, right? So I was still getting. You're still in a you're still covering someone else's music, no matter. Well, but I'm still learning like the inner workings of something complex that I didn't think about that I'm like piecing together. So I'm still getting the education, just different you know yeah, I really enjoy taking a whole like so an artist's whole life's work and really figuring out how they do it because john paul jones says it a certain way most people won't pick it up they'll just be like oh he's really great at, as a bass player he has a certain way about how he i know plays. i've learned i've learned like a handful of zeppelin tunes over yeah. but just the, the way years. he manipulates the music and and how he uses the scale it's there's yeah, and how he just throws notes in sometimes just to fill in a, a hole that you didn't even know existed until he filled it. Exactly. And also, when I was playing in the cover bands, because I've played in several of those, you learn a bunch of different music from a bunch of different artists. And depending on who you're working for or working with, you know, some of them want you to be almost exact, and some of them are just like, well, just play to me, you know, the guitar player. Um, and so it just depends. And I really learned in the, you know, those cover bands, how to branch out of my playing and understand, uh, what songs use a lot of one, four, five and octave and what songs branch out to the three and the seven and the six, you know? So it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting just to learn that about, 
uh, bass playing in general, um, just being able to say yes to whatever band. I mean, these cover bands, I'd have to learn a hundred songs or at least 60, at least 60, but I right. was done and over. About for Michael 100. Graves, for Michael Graves on uh, the second tour I did with him, which was four months around the U.S., twice, mm -hmm. um, I had to know 75 songs. Yeah. We played just under 30 songs we played like 25 to 26 songs every single night one hour non-stop non-stop yeah. like we start and we did not stop until mm -hmm. right before dig up her bones which was the last song like yeah. we played solid and that that's crazy that's crazy yeah. right and you have to be so you really have to know your material in order to do that yeah to pick it up and just to do it um, and, you know, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years um, that hate tribute bands or hate cover bands. Like, why would you want to do that? Why don't you go do your own thing? You learn so much from being in a tribute and a cover band. And also, pretty much, I'd say 99% of the musicians out there are in a cover band because they're not playing their own music. So yeah. And not, every, <laughs> not everyone is as stubborn as people like me who, like, yeah, I'm going to do the solo gig thing well no the solo bands i mean that that's an artist there's a lot of artists out there but if you were to go like say nita if you want to go play with nita you're still playing her music so you're playing in her band learning her music it's the same as going to a cover band although she's in the band and that's her name and everything so it's it is different but you're still that specific band is i had a lot more freedom than other bands all the other bands that i was in um, like, you know, the independence had a 25 year long career. Michael's, you know, the American psycho with the misfits has been out for like 20 something years, right? It came out in 95. So like, come on, like all, everybody had heard all of those songs. They had heard all of those baselines. Those baselines had decades to get into people's ears with Nita. She played bass on the album and didn't go too crazy with it. Right. So that as long as anything, I, Luckily, like all those gigs that I learned playing the, in the independence and, and learning Jerry only bass lines and all this other stuff. Um, and even being thrashy, Children of October was a thrash punk band. It was a three piece. We were loud. We were fast and it was great. And we were very green. Everything was green. Um, it was so good. And I learned so much. I, I learned so much from those gigs. Mm -hmm. learning other people's baselines so that way when it came time for me to be able to expand upon Nita stuff I kind of knew what worked already and I kind of like when I saw similar moves I'd be like oh I know what this this is yeah. Yeah. um there's a song by Nita Strauss called Allegria mm -hmm. it is the same chord progression as dig up her bones okay <laughs> the very first Nita Strauss tour I would go over to Jay Tarantino in that song. And while playing that riff on stage, I would sing Dig Up Her Bones to him. <laughs> and, and then one day the sound guy came up to me and he goes, what are you singing on stage? Because he's only hit the board. You know, he definitely can't hear with, the, with Josh Smash on the drums. You know what I mean? Like everything was so loud and we had amps on that tour. He's like, what are you singing? I was like, I'm singing Dig Up Her Bones, man. He goes, are you kidding me? I was like, no. It's like, it's 
the same. It's the same but different, right? Like only the rhythm track is the same chord progression. It's not in the same exact key, whatever. I, I was in uh, the studio with Honey one time and our guitar player who apparently didn't do his homework and was taking all day to try and come up with something. Uh, my or The girl that wrote the song, because uh, this was one we didn't write together, uh, she, she looked at him, she goes, okay, it's the same progression as November Rain, get it down, I'm effing tired of this. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, and it's like, whatever, you know. <laughs> so to expand upon like getting these gigs in bands, right? I've definitely, I like, you know what I love about this podcast the most? I like telling, being able to tell everyone what I think I messed up on. <laughs> Good, yeah. Yeah, because because oh. instead of like sitting here, like getting mad at myself for it, I just, you know, we all just want to move forward. And my, I've been a teacher for a decade now. So my number one thing, not only being a parent and being a teacher is to make sure that those who I am trying to inspire are, not going to suffer from the same misfortunes as me you know like i hope everyone has just as many fortunes as i have had and even more than me I, please have at it you know like there's plenty room for everyone um Absolutely. i don't think a lot of people get that i mean the world is is full of infinite possibilities and uh right now obviously we see big tech companies taking over everyone mm. <laughs> i'm not gonna get on this on like a weird thing but i'm just saying that when you have something that that is that big nobody gets their individuality and so the world is a big enough place for us to have our individualities and it's important to remember that that there's room enough for everyone we only need a, a handful i'm of i'm i'm having i'm trying very hard to just mm-hmm mm-hmm because not everyone thinks that way. Not everyone thinks that way. You, you, we think that way. We think that there's room for everyone. Not everyone thinks that you should be able to do your own thing, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's, but, it's funny, but, you know, making a living in the music industry. Okay, so maybe there's some people at the top that got there and they're worth millions of dollars. But right now we're seeing not we're not seeing that because we're not we're seeing big tech companies take away the music the musicians money left and right yeah and so, they've been doing it for a long time they've been doing it for a long time honestly though like let's be real let's be frank they've literally been taking musicians money since the day of recorded music yeah you know ever yeah. since the allure of getting someone who used to just play their guitar on their porch in memphis and then bringing them into Sun Studios and printing those discs and, you know, turning people like uh, Carl Perkins into household names or Jerry Lee Lewis or Elvis Presley, like or Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, like so many of those people, like only the singers, even the Beach Boys, right? Like only the singers really were even on the albums most of the time. You know, a lot of the time the musicians were even just studio musicians. Like since the beginning of time, Musician, musicians have been getting screwed by someone, you know, um, and that's all the more reason to say yes to everything, because very it, the one thing that is rare is for what you're doing to be the same exact thing that you're going to do forever. Right. 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 Like that's that's the real rarity. Consistency. Yeah. But that, you to make a living we only need a handful of people to really believe in us and that's where people like a hundred you need like a, what is it a hundred true fans right yeah 
and and people don't understand that they think well i've got to have a million fans for them to buy my records and it's like no you really only need to put out the music that you want to put out when you want to put out put it out and you want the people who really want it to buy it because they're going to support you they're going to listen to it you know previous to napster and i know i brought this up in another podcast but way before napster ever existed back in the day of musicians making tons of money mc hammer said that he made more money selling his mixtapes out of the trunk of his car than he ever did per unit on his record label and that dude had songs in movies that dude had songs everywhere you know like that dude wore a pair of pants and that those parachute pants took over the world over. i mean yeah I, Dude, that, th those pants that mc hammer wore in can't touch this they took over the world dude and that dude was penniless and broke not not, not long after right so they've been doing it forever some of us do what we do and they we realize all right there's like a whole ocean we got to dip our hands in a couple of different pots here right and that's you know and that's why another reason why i started my my solo um project and and another the reason why i called it dean like i was going to call i was going to give my my solo band a band name yeah. the only reason why i didn't give it a band name is because i said yes to so many gigs and it was dean from the independence dean from darrow chemical company dean from darkness descends dean from alex dean from nita strauss dean from michael graves dean from children of october so i was like well i kind of been shaking hands as dean you know for the last seven years you know maybe when i release my album I'm just gonna call it dean you know like it, it made it simple to me to I've, I've been putting all that time into that name, basically, by just by saying yes, you know? Yeah, it's the same way. Everybody knew me as, you know, Holly West from this band or that band. And when I wrote my own music, I wanted to hire whoever I wanted to hire. And I wanted them to I, I don't hire if I hire a drummer, I want them to play the songs how they want to play the songs. They don't have to be exact but they need to hit on you know a couple things i'm not like a stickler about it but i also wanted control you know to be able to say that and so yeah and i think nita did something similar right like she's literally nita strauss from we start wars nita strauss from alice cooper nita strauss from the iron maidens you know like um and then when her solo band came out what was it called it wasn't called popsicle stick it was called nita strauss you know what i mean like it's, you know, some of that makes sense. And it's because she said yes to all these gigs. And I'll tell you, I, the weight on my shoulders going from Nita Strauss playing bass that day, mm -hmm. getting offered the gig from Static X. The day that I got offered that, I didn't know what to do because in order to take this gig, I literally had to screw over my friends and get someone to fill in for me in less than a week for this yeah. one show. Luckily, I was able to call an old guitar player of the band. So like it went over a lot smoother than it could have. Right. Yeah. If that other guitar player didn't do the gig, like it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Um, but I. I sat down and I asked, I asked Nita and I was like. What should I do? And she goes, if you want me to be really honest. Take the gig. 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, huh? Like, and I'm looking at my boss who's done all of the things that I want to do, you know, and she's younger than me. So like, that's, you know, it's inspiring too. Um, just a few years, luckily I'm not, you know, grandpa or nothing, but she's younger than me and she's done so much more than me. And so I, I didn't look at age or, or gender or anything else. I looked at a phenom who's been doing all the things that I want to do, looked me in the eye and was like, you should probably do this. You know what I did? Exactly what that person told me to do. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I started playing bass and people, and I, I told my mentors, cause I've always had a few mentors, really awesome mentors. Um, a couple of them we've had on the show. Uh, I asked them, what am I supposed to do to get better? And they all said the same thing. Play with better people play with as many people as you can take as many gigs as you can play with better people play with worse people just play with more yeah, people yeah, you can learn a lot from worse people too and also you can teach them you can help them understand music better to play with you better and that will help you be better if you play with the drummer who falls off time every time he does this one role you know if like i'm always the guy on a stage that when something like that happens like I'll, I'll become the stage conductor if it's if i'm able to fix it i'll like i'll become the stage conductor to fix that moment if it was my mistake if it was this person it doesn't matter whoever's mistake it was like yeah. we all got to come together in those moments so even if you're you know the best player in the band i'm sure that there's something that you can become better at and one of those could be is like being the stage conductor being the guy who fixes you know the mistake that happens being you know being the guy who when there's singer trips over the mic uh the drum the kick drum mic and you're the bass player you run over and you use your foot to put the mic back you yeah, know like I mean, little little stuff like that right but there there's usually in a band some the musical director uh like the guitar player the singer the bass player whoever is the whoever is chosen as the musical director and they they really need to just have respect and you need to respect them and um, you need to respect the singer and where you stand on stage and you need to respect every, everything. Mm, right. So we wanted to jump into that. So in all these gigs that I've had to take and you've had to take, there are certain times when, yes, you say you're supposed to say yes to the gig. And when you do, you're supposed to do your best job. And sometimes that means learning trial by fire, what to do and what not to do in that band. I have absolutely been let go from bands for being too much of a performer. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been hired by bands because of that same thing. I've, I've been yelled at on stage for not performing enough. And then I've also been talked to about doing a little less performance. And each yeah, and, and, and something uh, that we were talking about right before we started uh, recording this podcast is when I was on my second tour with Nita, mm -hmm. um, both Johnny Young and I are both insane performers. Yeah. And not just players, but, but performers. Nita is also an insane performer. I swear, like I could bring my A++ game every night. I would still feel like that, that chick outperformed me every single night. And it was a pleasure being next to her on stage, you know, to, and, and I'm sorry to all my past band members, but to finally feel that 
to finally feel like I'm I'm bringing everything I got and and you're still kicking my ass. Like I love that. I love that. I want to be put in. Um, but because of that, sometimes we would play these gigs and there'd be like subwoofers and stuff in front of the stage. And so we'd go in and when you get hired by a band, you want to be the best for them. Like that's what you want. You want to be the best for them. And so Johnny and I, in the first couple of shows of the tour, we would like jump up on these monitors and stuff like that. And Nita let us know, listen, when I play for Alice Cooper, um, Alice sets the line. And you had told me a similar story where you had a band where someone set the line like that. Can you explain that for people? Yeah, in Zepparella, because I was overperforming because that's where I come from. I got I used to get yelled at on stage for not performing. And then in my second band, she couldn't really do anything while she's singing. So we're going crazy. And in my own band, I like that, too. So I'm in this new band and I really want to make a good performance. And our, our one of our first, uh, you know, tours is through Texas. And I really want to, you know, make sure I, you know, perform for my people <laughs> and I'm excited about it. And there's a bunch of like really awesome pictures of me just like real smiling and up there on the monitors and everything. But what happens is you don't want to steal the show either. And you want things from, from a person's perspective when you're a crowd's perspective, looking at the, at the stage, you want everything to, to make sense. Right. Right. So what Gretchen explained to me is, you know, besides having her pedal board there at the, you know, at the front of the stage, she lets Anna establish the line. Anna's our singer. And that's the line. And we should at least stay one foot behind the line or right up behind the line. Given the stage. Given the stage, yeah. yeah. But even just that little tiny bit of depth perception from the, the other side of the stage makes the show look more professional and put together. Also makes your singer look larger than life. Absolutely. And we got yeah. a really tiny singer, so we have to make sure she looks <laughs> And that's and that's and that's you know, like again being part of the team because you guys are putting the show ahead of yourselves, you know, and that's something you have to learn and you have to to mold and meld, you know. Yeah, I'm very similar but I have a couple of bass uh, solos that I do during the show, and that's when I go up to the monitor and I plant my foot and I just get into the crowd and it's because you're supposed to, right? I mean, it's my solo. That's who, that's who's supposed to be at the forefront. And so that's, I know that's my time to shine in front. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the overall, um, the overall image is what matters. Um, I really, you know, I, I've messed up. I've messed up by, just not maybe not paying attention to that right away all the time right and that's again you just have to you have to do what's best for the show um and with that it's not only just the onstage stuff it's the offstage stuff when you're touring with the band and you're in close quarters you got to be considerate right you gotta you gotta make sure that you especially when you're a bass player your your job as as a band member too so many of your your musical um, responsibilities have personal metaphors. So like being the glue between the band on stage as a bass player, yeah. you also are the glue off stage mm -hmm. with the band. You know, in uh, so many of my bands, the bass player is the glue between the guitar player and the drummer just outside in the parking lot. 
yeah. you know, without instruments. You know, there's usually like this common ground that these this natural order of things. Um, I personally have a hard time being in a band and not being the dude, like the music director, so to speak. I have a hard time with that, but I have to swallow my pride sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I got a chance to hook up with my buddy Alejandro, who actually plays bass in a band that I play guitar in. Um, and this is, I think right now we're being called the How You Doing Band, and it's the band for, uh, for uh, Enzo Amore, the cruiserweight champion from WWE. I went to high school with him, and we've been, him and Zaki Ali, um, my drummer from very many bands, plays guitar in this band. Everybody's just playing, you know, with everyone, doing everything. Um, and so I got a chance to hook up with him, and I wanted to talk with him about some of the gear that he's had to use across so many so many different bands. So I've known Alejandro for about 10 years, mm -hmm. and he always has the nicest things to say to me about, like, seeing some of my other bands and seeing me perform. And so part of this that I wanted to bring up is when you're saying, like, when you're joining all these bands, you're supposed to like kind of be a politician, not like politicians nowadays, but, but about the ideal um, image of a politician where you're supposed to literally shake babies and kiss hands or shake hands and kiss babies, whichever you want to do. <laughs> but I prefer to shake babies and kiss hands. Oh, and uh, so you go around and you got to make a good reputation for yourself. And that's one of the things that Alejandro actually did for me. And that's why I want to bring that up is because in every band that I ever joined all i wanted to do was make a good impression of someone right yeah. i wanted to just go and do this thing i love and have someone maybe consider me for another gig right? and that's exactly what alejandro did for me um so he's played in bands called visions of the vanish he plays right now in a band called concrete dream and he's also playing bass um with enzo and when he like he he was the guy like he was the total package when when Zach asked me, like they actually wanted me to play bass originally and keep mm -hmm. it like a four piece band. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to play bass in another band. Yeah. I've played bass in a lot of bands, right? That's most of what I do. I also play guitar. So I'm like, hey, guys, yeah. I'd rather play guitar for this. And they're like, well, who's going to play bass? And I was like, Alejandro. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I just said his name. And they're like, yep. Like they knew too. The second I said it, it's like, oh, that that was the right call, okay. you know, and and it is like when you're when you're up there. I, I watched this kid on stage, and um, he just impressed me over the years. So we're gonna jump over. I'm gonna do a quick little interview with him, and then Holly and I will be right back. All right, everyone. I'm here now with Alejandro Mena from the band Concrete Dream. He's a super, super sick bass player. I've been watching him crush it for, I don't know, the last like nine years or something like that. I think we were just talking right before this. We've, we've known each other for about nine years, 10 years, something like that. And uh, yeah, man, I've just been watching you crush it for years. And now we're in a band together, too. Um, jamming with Enzo Amore and Zaki Ali and our buddy Greg Telfeon. Um, but yeah, so how you doing, man? Thanks for uh, being on here. Wow, man, that's a great intro. Thank you, man. Um, I'm glad to be here, dude. You know, um, you know, we talked about this for a long time and I'm glad that, you know, we're making it happen. So me three. 
and the, the podcast, the band, all that good stuff. Yeah, we uh we're trying uh, to make the best of uh 2020. I uh, I was a firm believer in saying that uh I wasn't gonna make 2020 my hindsight. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. it. I was just gonna look forward. And uh as you reminded me right before this, yeah. um I was given a good piece of advice, and it's really good to hear it, you know, splash back in my face after sharing it too. Is gotta keep your eyes on the windshield, right? And you can't do that when you're looking in the rearview mirror. So exactly, dude. Pushing forward. So I'm super stoked that you came on here. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple things and get your opinion on some stuff. So I've known you as a bass player. I'm reading my questions. I've known you as a bass player forever. Yeah. Um, but you also play guitar and you also have some super, super sick and killer vocals. Um like what made you find the bass and then stick to the bass? Like, did you play bass first? No, actually I played the guitar first. Um, Me too. Yeah. And I was playing by myself. How old? Oh, oh, dude, I was 14 years old when that happened. My, my mother. I was 13. Oh, you're 13. Wow. Look at that. Stars are lining up. So um, my mother gave me my first guitar even before, even before I picked up the guitar, um, I remember listening to Slipknot, Wait and Bleed. And I was like, yo, what the hell is this? I remember saying that to myself. And they then, changed, they changed this the landscape. Dude, I, I became a metalhead that day. One of my best friends came, like I it was one of my best friends from uh from baseball he came like we we went over to my um house he came with the cd cds and put it on put wait and bleed because that was their like debut single and we just started moshing like i didn't even know moshing was a thing you know what i mean it was something like the music just we used to put on we used to put on the tour tape that went alongside that first album and uh we would we would just like rewind back and forth like like back 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 and play back and play back and play of like Slipknot moshing on stage and like they were they were so much energy, oh dude they definitely are why they they are the band that made me tune down for the very first time, right? Um, because their songs were in drop B, right? And so I remember being in wow you just you just sparked a memory back to literally me being in high school with my first band that I ever played my first show with. We played in drop B tuning because I tuned my guitar down to drop B to play, to like learn weight and bleed or something. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's crazy. Dude. Yeah, dude. dude. And then, you know, and then I, (laughs) I picked up a broomstick and I was imagine like I was, I was Tom Cruise uh, style. Yeah, dude. Like I would just look right in front of the mirror and pretend that I'm playing the guitar to like a Slipknot track or to a System of a Down track or to a Jimmy Eats World track to like all these different bands. Like I, I swear to God, K Rock. Yeah, dude, K Rock. Oh my gosh. Oh, you mean you? So you mean you just put on ninety two point three K Rock and then had an <laughs> awesome life? 
No, no, no. What, what I mean <laughs> no, because I did. Like, dude, like I grew up here, man, and we had that. And like, yeah. dude, those bands, like music was, I, I don't know, man. All throughout the '90s into just into 2000, um, and like the early 2000s, I loved music. And being around here, we had a really great rock station. Like, yeah. I think that's part of it. And we also have 89.5, man. Yeah. Not too many, not too many yeah, people yeah. have that. Yeah, yeah, WSOU. Yeah, dude. And you know, it's funny. So, like, my son, uh, my my son's mom and I were just going over his, like, uh, pending grades for the report card. One class, he has an 89.5. And so I look over at his mom and yeah. I go, that's nine seven three seven six one nine seven six eight. And he goes, that's nine seven three seven six one W S O U U U. Like it's embedded in us. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. growing up, my dad yeah. always wore Seton Hall Pirates hats, and he what didn't listen to bas like he didn't listen to the basketball games. He didn't follow the basketball games. They didn't have a football team. Um, so I was like, Dad, why do you wear Seton Hall hats? He's like, because of the radio station. Right, it's like a New Jersey thing. Yeah, yeah. You wear a seat in the hall pirates hat because you like pirate radio, not, you know, not because you care about the basketball team. Yeah. You know, um. So yeah. That, that's that's um. I have my dad seat in the hall hat in the closet. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I want. Um, I never like any band, even now, you know, with Concrete Dream. Um, hopefully, soon in the future, we'll be on WSOU, man. You oh, know. dude! All you got to do is call them. Uh, yeah, we we did, but it's fine. It, 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 no, no, you just that. keep calling them. You keep calling them. Squeak. Listen, right. darkness descends. If there's any rule and law that you can learn from that band, yeah, you can call up Angry Jay right now and ask him how do you get things in life. You right. know what he's gonna tell you? Good, good. I think I know, but I, I want to hear you say it. You ask. That's it. That's how you get things in life. You ask. And right. you just keep asking. That's it. Eventually, they give in. Back in the days when Facebook didn't, like, mm. halt your posts, and, like, mm. if you had 4,000 friends, it, your message actually went out to 4,000 walls, mm. right? We used to spam hardcore, and that's why Darkness, you know, like, was semi-successful. Right. There was a lot of Malaysian fans that used to right. interact with our Facebook, like ridiculous. Like, I don't know how that was, but yeah. so like, sorry. So you, so yeah, I'm sorry. We, we, yeah, we no, no, we, this I, is going to happen. This is going to happen. Yeah. I talk a lot. I'm, I'm Sicilian. It happens. You know what I mean? So, all right. So you had, you yeah. used to jam out and pretend you were playing guitar and bass to Slipknot songs and, you right. know, music of the times when you're around 14 years old, 13 years old ish. Right. Yeah, dude. And then, you know, I, I was living like I would always hang out in the basement and I will put, you know, these CDs, you know, I'll, I'll I'll blast them. And, you know, I lived in a in a Cuban household, you know, where like salsa and like, you know, that was like, you know, the music to listen to because it was part of the culture. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're hearing metal and they're hearing all <laughs> this. They're like, what the? What the hell is that? You know what I mean? Yeah, who is this demon? Who is this, like, who possessed this this kid? You know what I mean? Who I don't even recognize this child. So, um, you know. There Alex, was a, you know, looking so good. You know, looking so good, exactly. 
so you know i'm like throwing metal horns up in the air and shit and um what is that? that was just like every day every day and then i think and then my mother was seeing me my father was seeing me you know jamming with the you know with, with the broom and everything and they were like you know something let's just let's just get this kid a real instrument maybe we should get him a guitar so what was your first guitar so my first guitar was called <laughs> you're gonna laugh um it's called a johnson all right you're slinging your johnson <laughs> I was slinging my john well johnson dude i mean i don't I, I wish I lied, but you know, I, I want to, you know, keep was it, it like a strat style? Was it like a last Paul style? Fender, you know, kind of look to it, you know, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then did you have an amp with that? I did have an amp with it. It was a Johnson amp. Oh, oh, Johnson on Johnson. Johnson on Johnson, man. You know? <laughs> wow, look at that huge Johnson. Johnson. Get over here. Yeah, 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 dude. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, well, you remember when you started jamming out. Like, so, yeah. So how did you, did you take lessons right away or what? No, I did not. No. Did you, how did you learn? Like, let's say your first chord, did you get like a book? There was a, there was a thing called guitar tabs at that time. Yeah. But how did you learn how to read guitar tabs? I pretty much put two, two together. So like, all right, there's numbers in there. Those numbers represent something. So maybe it represents these little boxes that are on the, uh, on this fretboard thing. See, when I was like at that, are, are you older than me or younger than me? You're younger than me, right? Younger than you, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be 37 in, in like a month. Yeah, I'm, I'm 33. All right, so like when I was like 13 and 14, the, the internet was still dial up. Right. You know, and AOL. And so my journey in the tablature world was few and far between because, you know, it took 10, years for a page to load that was a whole song right um but yeah like i i before i learned tabs like that i wrote out tabs like i wrote down like fifth fret before i ever learned any of that because i had a book i had like one of those alfred's music books okay i learned like it the first thing i learned was a d major chord and i realized i couldn't move that and i like kind of gave up on the whole book thing once i found like a power chord because I realized I could play the power chord everywhere. Right. right. I could play this. I learned this one thing and yeah. it worked pretty much everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Instead yeah. of playing like the, this hand twister game that I play nowadays, you know, to get all those sweet sounds. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And so did you have a similar path, I guess? Because you were learning songs. So you must have. Did you like adapt what the chords were and start to learn that over time? Or was it just only what the tab said well you know over time like not only was i learning the tab set but like i was also trying to learn it by by ear like i was trying to figure out like all right was this guitar player playing because sometimes they didn't have the guitar tabs for that particular song and i really quite often when we were growing up it was not like today where you can just google insert name guitar tab and just find 50 versions of it plus professional versions you know yeah exactly there so was no I, such thing no such thing right so like i'll try to sound it out like and i'll i'll keep on playing it playing it and playing it you know until i got it to relatively like close to our you know to the song 
and how the guitar player was playing it. So um, there was a lot of that. And I'm, I was playing at this time, I was playing by myself, you know, and at the same time, right, as we all I was playing a lot of baseball. I, I, I wanted to become a baseball player. I could yeah. see you being a baseball player. Yeah, you, yeah. You are definitely a home run hitter. Yes, yes. I, I could I could see that. So <laughs> the second you said that, I was like, yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure, dude. dude. Yeah, dude. So I I was really practiced. Like while I was doing that, I was also practicing in the guitar. And I remember I'll bring the guitar with me into the baseball club. Right. And I'll just like, yo, guys, we got a game today. And I'm like, I'll play like a system of a down riff. <laughs> like some sugar. Like I, I'll give them chop suey. Or I'll give them uh, BYOB. All right, all right, right. yeah, yeah, because yeah, because those are the later songs. See, I'm, the later I'm songs, right? Years older, so for me, it was Sugar and uh, Spiders. Oh, Spiders, hell yeah! Spiders. Yeah, and uh, and Marmalade. Marmalade, yes, yes. Marmalade. They had that on the the Strangeland soundtrack. See, yeah. so and that was another thing too. I think like movie soundtracks were so awesome back then major blockbuster movies had all the rock and metal bands yeah dude that all it it was like dude it was what was up dazed and confused i think i think nailed it first because they were like there was like three and four dazed and confused soundtracks and there was only no there was two but there was only one movie that but there was two soundtracks because the first one was such a hit you know and then all those movies though like there was that whole horror genre yeah, just came right along the 90s into the 2000s. Right. And just pushed all of that rock and metal music. Yeah, hell yeah. I, you know, when you talk about that, I'm thinking about, um, what is it? What's the name of that? Dude, Dracula 2000, uh, 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 Queen of the Damned. Yeah, Queen Olish. Yeah, Queen of, Queen the, of the Damned. Dude, Holy are we kidding? Are we kidding? The yeah, Strangeland, right. The Crow. Um, Lost Highway. Yeah. Like, dude, these these soundtracks were on point. Insane. Was Static Howard Stern private parts? Yeah. Was Static X on that in that album? Uh, which one? Queen the Queen of the Dam. I don't know. I don't know, actually. But it it but what you're talking about reminds me of like Slipknot being in Resident Evil, talked uh uh Mudvayne being like this is much later. Like being, I forgot. It's it was like a ship movie. I forgot what it's called. But Marilyn I, Manson was on House on Haunted Hill. The movie opened on Sweet Dreams, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget yeah. about it. Like there was this, a, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, and so and you know what was cool too is like so with that music. Yeah, it was playable, right? Mm-hmm. You could figure out that music. Yeah. There was that too. There was that aspect of this music where if you if you knew these few power chords you could you could play to it right you know right. um for me my first my first amp literally was my radio like um like a, a week after i got my first guitar my two uncles made like this cable that went from my guitar into the microphone input of my stereo and it was like super low volume but like that's i naturally did the same thing i i was playing to the stuff on the radio right away match trying to match sounds exactly because that's that that was my amp you know <laughs> like in right. order in order right. for it to be on like it was on the radio right, right. <laughs> you know, like yeah 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 no i yeah. hear you i hear you i was um 
yeah because i had these cds and everything i i was able to like go back and like play it again but um so like, how did you how did you go yeah from there from, to the base from, is that yeah. just because you get gunned for hire because i was needed me too so did did you get did you buy your first bass to be in a band yeah pretty much like i i remember buying um my first bass was a four string sound gear ibanez mine too i still have it one of my students uses it yeah i you know remember the video of concrete dream and me smashing the wall oh yeah That's oh is that one the one that was all graffitied up yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you talk about that real quick? That's for the song Contagion out now, right? On yeah. YouTube. It's on YouTube. Um, it's on all social platforms. You know, on I love that music video so yeah. much. Yeah, dude. Don Capria. He's our I love that music yeah. video. Yeah, please check it out, guys. Um, Concrete Dream is the band yeah, Concrete. that Alejandro plays for. Um, it is such a sick video for the song Contagion awesome super awesome video thank you man and you know it was it was a collective effort and and don caprio had i like the color grading like that's where you, you get me like yeah yeah the content is super awesome and you know you and i've discussed that i love several of those shots but uh the color grading is i i just love it you know i love this this new school of being able to make things look however you want you know right yeah don like bakes up to uh to Don Caprio because he was the uh, director of it and um, you know, he did an amazing job. So you, you played, you bought a bass to play in a band. So that band was that band visions, visions of the vanish eventually became visions of the vanish. I mean, there was bands even before that, you know, like we were used to be called, we went through like th two names. I think I know of like two or three of those names. Where, where are those? I well, I can't I can't remember. I'm gonna wait till you say say, say oh, the name. Fact, fact, so before Vision and Vanish, it became fact from fiction. I definitely knew that. I definitely knew that. As that's how Jay introduced you guys to me. He was like, "Those these are the guys from Fact from Fiction," and I was like, "Who the hell is that?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know because I didn't know. I was like the only guy in the band that didn't know you guys because uh, I was just coming around. And even before that, it was called Nursery of the Dead. I did not know that one. Yeah, yeah. That was with Robbie, I, uh, this kid uh, named Daniel, and Joey. Um, and then after after Visions, what did it become? Enochian, Enox. Yes! Yes. Yes. See, yeah, see, that's what, see, I did know, I did know three. I couldn't have named them. I couldn't have named yeah, them for yeah. sure. But. So it went, it went through, it went through so many goddamn phases. You know what I mean? It, it's, it was interesting. You know, as it, it does. Yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely an evolution. And it was with the key members, you know, uh, it was with Roberto Miranda. Uh, it was with Ernesto Grazzi, uh, who's still currently in. They're not called Inoki anymore. They're called Enox. They had a ch semantics. Yeah. And, uh, I know of a band called the Real Descendants of Darkness, too. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So. You started off with this first sound gear. Yeah, sound what gear. Was, what was your first amp? My first amp was a... Because so you bought this bass to play in a band, so you had to buy a big amp right away? 
No, actually, um, you remember Darren? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had a Fender Rumble uh, amp. It was like a Fender Rumble amp. And then uh, those was, things punch, man. Those things. Uh, punch. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah, used them for lessons, dude. Yeah. And for, I, for any rehearsal, they're like more than enough. Yeah, they're more than enough, right? And you just you I, want you want more for a show, but they're they're more than enough. Yeah, exactly. And um, what I really liked about it, I mean, it was like the little things sometimes that count. I mean, besides the sound, like when you played, it had like this red high red light. The red light, right? It had the red light, right? The bass like, reactive light built inside of it. Yeah, that was so cool. I thought that was so cool about that amp. But and then it went from that to now. I was like, all right, I you know I got to graduate. You know, I I, I got to take my you know I got to take this to the next level. So I right, see. So Sorry, well, off with the Fender Rumble, and then went to what? I went to a four by ten MPEG, and I also bought myself an MPEG head. Was what 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 MPEG? Uh, SVT seven pro. That seems to be the go-to dude. One of my dreams is that I was able to, the mic's blocking it, but I was able to finally, after all these years, get, uh, the Ampeg SVT two pro and it's all tubed. It's, it's, you know, it's the seven is the, the solid state power amp and two preamp. Yeah. This is all tube 300 Watts. Yeah, it was it was too expensive, man, for me. No, dude, it took me until I it wasn't until I was going on my the full Michael Graves tour. Like I I even bought like a like a faux pas kind of rig, like last minute to to play for Graves for Canada. Like I just bought these Ashdown heads, right? um, Because they were tiny, they were compact. I was able to bring them. Right. Um, But yeah, the second tour, I like. I bought this thing like for 600 bucks. It had been dropped. Um, And then I I put $500 into it like two or three times since then. So damn. listen, I want it. It's been out of reach my whole life, but this head has been $1,500 as long as I've known. I still paid it. I just kind of wound up paying it in installments because of how I went about it. But that was the only way I was able to, you know, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, something um, at that time, I bought it at Guitar Center. And I love, uh, but by the way, I love those SVT 7s. I yeah, love those. Yeah, they're, I've, they're, I've wanted one for a awesome, minute. Man. They're awesome. I, I wanted to pick up one as like a backup, but then I stopped using this head like live a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I was good. That's what I was going to do. I was going to get the seven as a backup. Oh, as I said. Oh, wow. Nice. So, yeah. Um, I got I, I actually paid for that through um through the guitar, guitar center credit card. There you go. Guitar center credit card. And uh musicians yeah. like best friend is pay uh like play yeah, while you pay. Yeah, pay while you play. And then you know it took me 12 months to like pay for it all. But um yeah, man, like it was that was really like an exciting day for me, man. <laughs> Dude, I know, right? So, so hold on. So, like, what did you feel? All right, so you go into Guitar Center. Yeah. You you're playing this Fender Rumble, right? You're playing some shows. Yeah, yeah. Did you get? Did you keep that bass with that Ampeg, or did you get another bass, or what? No, no, I still had the same bass. Dude, good because those basses rock. Um, yeah. did you only have one bass, or did you have that and like a backup? See, here's the thing, like, um. 
I did not have a backup. All I had was uh, the sound gear. And you know, something I didn't really think too much of it. I was like, oh, why do I buy another one? I mean, that was not even the thought, you know? Yeah, I mean? of course, of course. Until some shit happens to you during the show and you're like, yeah, I should get it. learn the hard way. Yeah, yeah, yo, sometimes that's how you have to learn it, man. You have to learn the shit the hard way so that you can get shit done. So how excited were you, though, when you brought that Ampeg home? Like, did you bring it home or did you bring it to the rehearsal studio? Dude, I brought, yeah, I, I brought that shit to did the- you bring it on or like a ride around down the block and shit and show it off to your friends? Like, yeah, man. Yeah, dude, I flexed a little bit. I was like- Hell yeah, yeah as you yeah. should. As you should, that's a good day. Yeah, it was a great day. And I was at, uh, where we were at? We were at, um, oh, we were at Streets, dude. That's that's where when I got it. Oh, all right. Do you, do you remember- that neon sign I had uh, on top of my SVT Seven Pro, it, it was say it said bass. You don't remember? I, I, and then you're like, dude, like I don't know why you have this thing here because this thing can break. Because it was gonna fall off or something, fall right? Off or something. Yeah, I remember. yeah, I remember that. I I didn't remember what it was, but I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was just like a neon sign. It was like a beer company, but it, it, it was bass. It was called. Oh, bass. right. Bass Ale. Bass, bass Ale, but yeah, bass. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, bass yes. So I remember. It's like, yeah, man, I'm going to bring this awesome neon light, you know, and every time I play bass, I'm going to turn it on. So whatever. It was something corny, but whatever. I just so, all right. So then you had that and then you rocked that for a while, right? Yeah, I rocked that for a while. And then. What when did you start taking your your so in the last few years your rig has been something crazy so you started off with like a sound gear and a fender rumble and then slowly moved up and right. now you got some sick stuff man you have a dingwald bass you have a kemper yeah yeah um yep you have uh, uh you i know you you were using a sand zamp right yeah what right. what what's your what does your rig consist of now now, right now, um, it consists of the dark glass 900 watt head. Right, right. Which um, head is it? The Omega? It is the Omega, correct. The Alpha Omega head. And um, it's 900 watts. It, that, I that, want one of those so bad. Yeah, yeah man. They're, they're awesome. Um, it's definitely the uh, modern, I would say the modern day bass sound, especially for metal. But it's... It's very versatile, though. Like you get. I wanted to get that for Nita. Um, I wanted to get that head and then the the pedal. Yeah, yeah. The BK seven pedal. And oh, the Lauren, BK seven pedal, right? Yeah, and Lauren was gonna hook me up with the deal. I met him at uh at Nam, mm -hmm. and he was gonna hook me up for the Nita Strauss tour. Was that was that the owner Castro or Lauren? Lauren, Lauren, my bad. Lauren, um. I don't know what his last name is. I just know it was Lauren. Um, but I had just bought this Axe Effects for these Michael Graves shows that I never used because I no longer played in the band. So, like, I really wanted to buy that, but I couldn't justify not using this thing that I already spent, like, that same amount of money on, you know? I, know. I was going to spend double the money of what I had already, you know, like... Uh, and then it would have been cool, but it just, it was like, oh, it sounds so awesome. I just got to use what I have, you know, like, well, I, you know, I have it here so you can always test it out for yourself. And, you well, know. thank you. And I do, I love the axe effects too. And the other thing is, it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Being a guitar player at heart. It's really cool to, 
just have my guitar channel right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's cool to have, you know, guitar bass, guitar yeah. bass. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I I use that and I run uh and I run that through a sans amp and I get and that's the so you go bass into the sans amp and then into the alpha omega yeah and now do you when you do that do you do a mic line out of the sans amp also no i don't you just use the sans amp as a preamp yes into the alpha omega into the alpha omega and then for sound are you using a mic or are you using the di out of the alpha omega di and are you running a cable or are you running a wireless? I'm running a wireless. What wireless? Line 6 G90. Line 6 G90. So line 6 G90 into the SANS amp, into the Alpha Omega direct. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. So it's, it's line 6. I'm sorry. Line 6 G90 to the, hold on, to the. Oh, you, you have your pedal, uh, your tuner pedal, right? Yeah, I have my tuner pedal. Oh, wait, hold on. No, I'm running that through my tuner. No, no. Oh, the tuner goes that... through the tuner out. No, I'm running that through the line G, the line sixteen ninety to the um, dark glass, and then is it that way? Hold on, just trying to think. What the hell? I don't remember my setup. If you run the 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 G ninety to the dark glass, right? You'd have to have the uh, sans amp in the effects loop or something right dude I, all right and so and so yeah i i don't know yeah, I, whatever I, whatever yeah. we know these things when they're in front of us when they're dude it's out of sight out of mind you yeah, know what i mean exactly i've been a stage side electrician you know my whole life um, <laughs> one of those things like the learning the hard way you know so you used to know my big darkness board right, right. i used to have all these pedals all the amps you know i've always had crazy right. amounts of amps on stage oh, now i remember i remember now sorry yeah, no, go, go. It goes, it goes from the so the input into the output of the of the Sansam, and then from the Sansam all into the um, wireless. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't know. I'd have to see it. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So the the Sansam is all coming on the wireless. Yes. Oh, I think you just said it, but you said it in reverse. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I said it in reverse. Right. I did. Right. Right, right. I went from finish to beginning. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, all right. And now you, you and then you also have. And I also have a, well, I have a Kemper. Um. I used to use that. I used to use it live because I have a built because the, the Kemper I bought has a built-in power amp, which yep. is which is 600 watts. But um, for some reason, uh, I mean, there's not there's nothing defective about it. I just wanted to change up my sound and I wanted to use that more for the studio. 
you know, because uh, I remember, dude, with Concrete Dream, you were showing up to gigs and I had people texting me being like, dude, you have got to see Alejandro set up because everyone knows that I'm such like a gear hound. Right. Yeah. And when you started showing up with that Dingwald and the Kemper and like the cabs and stuff, and yeah. dude, Zach was calling me up. He's like, bro, you got to check this out. You don't even know. This is like years ago, man. Like when you first started rocking it really? uh, at that uh, that one place where they had the Jersey City. Was that it place was like uh, I don't know. It was a no or Laura's art gallery show or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes, uh, that was. Uh, I think I was on tour. Yeah, I think you were on tour, and that was in Soundwar Studios, and we were doing an event for uh, Laura's event. Um, I forgot the name of the event. I know it was like a suicide awareness. Yeah, it was for the U Rock Foundation, I believe. Foundation. Was, uh, there you go. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there was tons of great people involved in that. So, yeah. How do you, how much do you, it's been a pretty expensive journey, right? From beginning, beginning oh, of, of base to, to the rig that, that you have now, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. It has. When, so do you think that you, you bought your, you upgraded your equipment um, on schedule or do you think you preempted with some of your equipment um do you think that having certain equipment um pushed you to want to do bigger things or what oh of course yeah pushing to do bigger things and um i don't like to think of it as you know uh i got this equipment you know whether i got it at the right time or you know i should have done this like sooner rather than like later I just look at it as, you know, hey, I bought this thing. This is what I wanted. Um, I'm going to be contributing to the sound, to our band. And uh, and you you feel that your contribution to your bass rig helped the band grow, right? Well, in the live aspect of it, yeah. Live, in, but even in the studio. Yeah. See, I think yeah. I, I bring that up because I'm a firm believer that as a band works, right, and and musicians hone themselves and sculpt themselves um it really does drastically change mm. how the band is going to sound you know usually for the better because we're supposed to be all getting better as time goes on right you know so um but yeah so i was just wondering like if you thought like the difference of that fender rumble to the dark glass do you think that that changed the way you write your bass lines for your bands or what? Good question. Um, I think, you know, thinking about it, it's a five string now, you know, as, as opposed to me playing four string. So, you know, at those times, those are different times. And now with that fifth string being there, um, you know, there's a lot you can do, you know, especially in that low, end so um i think there's a lot of like groove a lot of low end um rhythms so do you do you find that you've do you find this is this might be a good i like this question yeah um do you find that when you played a four string that you had more low end in your signal and now that you play a five string do you find yourself rolling off the low end a little bit more than you used to because you're playing? Well, low. the ding wall. Well, here's the thing. That's a good question too. So with the ding wall, I feel like um, 
Well, the reason why I got the ding walls because we played in a drop tuning, right? Uh, and that doesn't that have something dark glass inside it too? Yes, as a preamp, as a dark glass preamp in it. So um, when you when you turn that thing on, you know, it it just <laughs> it, it's it's booming, man. You know what I mean? Um, what I like, what I really like about it is that the ding wall has such like a a presence. You know, not only does it have the low end, but like it, it has a distinctive sound to it. You know. Which I'm gonna tell you something. <coughs> my band doesn't like. I want to mean that is Concrete Dream. They don't like the Dingwall sound. Yeah, actually, it, it's kind of it's kind of fieldy. It's kind of yeah. fieldy periphery. It's got that twang. They probably want they probably want that dead string Fender P bass sound. Yeah, the yeah, and and I have another bass. It's called uh, it's a Ibanez BTB, the one, the same one that you have. Mm. So they they like that sound more over than the uh, the Dingwall. And I remember we had like a whole serious conversation about it, right? And they're like, "Listen, you know, we don't like the Dingwall. We want the Ibanez BTB." Sound. They just don't like it because it's yellow. <sighs> no, no comment. <laughs> um you know yeah it comes down so that's very funny so yeah in this episode we are talking about how when you get a gig for a band mm. that you have to you have to figure out your place in the band and you have yeah. to grow with the band yeah you have to make sacrifices you have to make compromises yeah we talk about that all throughout this episode and like it's really important to sometimes bite the bullet, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Your battles. Exactly. So, you know, I looked at it as it's funny because um, you get to ha now you get to have a say on the vocal mix on the next album because you're not going to play that dingwall. That's what I'd, I'd be like, listen, <laughs> you got to put this echo on your vocals or I'm playing this bass on this song. <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll use that. But uh, no, I, I looked at it as like a, a compromising thing because it is a band, you know? Yeah. So I was like, all right, sure. Why not, man? You know, whatever, you know, I just want everyone to be happy, but um, I'll be honest. So that stinks, man. huh? That stinks to spend all that money on that bass and then, find out that maybe it's not the right tool for the job. So that's, that's part of yeah, 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 the yeah. gear journey also is. Yeah. yeah. Damn. But, you know, like, but, but I knew I was going to use it, you know, I, I, for my solo shit for like things, maybe that's going to happen in the future. So I'm never going to give that away. You know, speaking I mean? of your solo stuff, how would people find you yourself on all of the interwebs? find me like as far as like what style yeah, how, how would someone be able to find you and see all the stuff that you do for oh yeah they're gonna be oh they can find me on instagram um so it's uh at alejandro underscore underscore mena underscore underscore so you're impossible with those two underscores twice twice all right <laughs> and two only, underscores twice two underscores right between alejandro and mena and then right afterwards yeah and we'll we'll put that down below here there you go there you go so um yeah so so all right so with all of this you got 
you got tons of different stuff. You do a lot of your stuff is mostly solid state so far that what from what I've gathered, other than that SVT seven pro that yeah. just did that, that had a one like a 12 ax 72 preamp, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, but a solid state power amp. Yeah. So this question should be a no brainer for you. Yeah. Analog or digital? You, you got to ask that question, huh? One or the other. Because well, you, you got lots of dark glass going on. You got lots of sand amps going on. Yeah, you got. Yeah, yeah. You got you got lots of stuffs going on there. Right. right. So I guess I don't know. I, I I've been you know in that in that um what is it uh I've been in that electronic field right. So um that digital field. So um I would say for now digital. You know because that's part of you know the concrete dream sound is digital. Um, everything, I think it's like a new, it, it's a new, well, you, and so concrete dream has a lot of like program stuff too. Cause you guys have like a trap rock. Yeah, exactly. Like there's other than the guitars, bass drums being there. Um, you have the trap element, you have the hip hop element to it. You have the electronic element to it. There's like a lot of shit that goes into the, you guys uh, play with the backing track. I assume when you play live. Yeah, that's what we, we do play with the backing track. Who you know? runs that? So it will be my drummer who runs that. Um, so that was another thing that made me want to have, to make sure that I stuck with right. the Axe Effects world. Yeah. Um, after the dudes at Axe Effects were so awesome to hook me up with this thing with a good price on this thing for the Graves tours. Um, right. I've always been, I really love the allure of the switching digitally and you know, so many bands I work with now um, all run backing tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really a thing to the laptop is 100 percent, you know, like M- Millie Vanilli got booed off the stage for having, you know, uh, a CD skipping. And here we all have laptops. So, yeah, we all have MacBook Pros where we play now, even our metal songs like yeah, I think Di- it's- Dime would Dime be rolling. He'd be rolling in that grave if he knew what metal bands are doing now, man. But, you know, things like, you know, things change over time, man. You know what I mean? I- they do. They do. Well, having a laptop and like people don't realize like what we're really doing when we do stuff like that is like it's hard enough to have a band with four or five guys. What the laptop does is it allows to bring the CD or album quality production not not the song right but the quality of the production that the producer vibe the the hard work the blood the sweat and the tears the things that we don't have all the extra hands to be able to play live that we may create and if we had like real band members for all those elements every band would be three slipknots you know like there's a reason why band uh, why there was orchestras back in the day it's because yes it was for volume but there were so many different instruments, you know, like the amount of instruments just was for the volume, but there was all those different elements because each instrument is a different texture. And that's what we are. We're artists who paint landscapes and we create either a safe haven or 
um, a battlefield for you to express your emotion on. And sometimes we want to paint a more in-depth in picture. You know, you never look at an artist who uses a full palette of color and ask him, why didn't you paint that in black and white? Right. Never, right? Right, right, right. So like, you well, might ask like, the, yeah, the black well, and white artist, why don't you paint that in color? Right. It'll just say, because this is what I saw, you right. know? Exactly. And that's the dude in the acoustic, you know? Exactly. It's like, what kind of question is that? You know, it's like, you know, um, yeah, you're very much a digital guy. See, I very much was an analog guy. I did have my solid state um, amps and my pedals. You know, I have always had digital pedals. Um, but once I got a tubed guitar amp, my very first one, uh, I actually bought two at once. I bought the Crate Blue Voodoo that you know that's in the bottom of this rack down here. And then I also bought a PV valve state. No, the, the Marshall was the valve state. Uh, PV had their other version where it was the same deal. It was like a solid state power amp, but a right. tube preamp. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it was called, but I, I didn't love that. I did wind up selling that. But once I found out like what the tube amp sound was, I kind of never went back. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I never, I never ever bought a solid state amp after that. Um, until these axe effects and digital effects came out, like I never even liked the boss multi effects because I never really wanted to feel like I was playing a game boy trying to find my guitar tone, you know, and I do suffer with that because I have the axe effects too. So it's even the green screen, like just to make me eat my own words, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I operate with axe. I operate with axe edit. So I do it on the, you know, on the computer. So it's nice and colorful, but like, I don't want to feel like I'm playing Metroid when I'm trying to, you know, set my tones. And that's what I always felt like with multi effects. XFX has the interface right. I don't know. They just, I like the way they have it laid out where I can feel comfortable, but right. that's just out of convenience. That's because I, if I could, I would bring all of these amps. I'd bring all those amps everywhere if I could, but I each one of those is like 80 pounds. There, man. I love that triple X you got there in the back. Oh yeah. I, I, that was given to me by a, a student. I have a triple X, nice. uh, crepe blue voodoo, the 300 watt, the 300 H. MPEG SVT2 Pro. Uh, right here is a Hughes and Kettner mm. Tubemeister 5, PV6505, and the Crate Blue Voodoo 120H on the bottom. By the way, um, by the way, I used to own a 6505. Yeah, and, and what happened to that? I sold it for so I can get a base. I. You know, I once traded. I'm still kicking my ass for it. I traded my 1985 Monte Carlo SS mm -hmm. for a Charvel, like a $2,000 Charvel guitar. Mm -hmm. I later traded that Charvel for like an $800, <clears throat> an $800 Ibanez BTB six string bass. I traded a car for a guitar and then traded that guitar for the bass. And that was, and so I started playing six string, you know, around then. Right. Right. I like remember 2009, that. 2008. You, you had another BTB bass, right? I know it was an, I had, so I had, right. 
I had the the O negative one, right? The the green one. Chuck right. used to play in darkness, and then I played it in graves. I was playing that for a while until I uh I did a music video with Alex. And I always used to do guitar spins, you know, and, and bass spins. And uh the strap that I would it I I know all the tricks about strap pins pulling out and all this stuff and blah blah blah. And like that shit never happened to me. Um, I was using this guitar strap company um that was a vegan company vegan yeah it was a vegan company um it's a company i work with sometimes on on some stuff and and i have a bunch of their stuff and i don't want to say anything bad about them but um the material they use that goes around the strap pin on their straps does not hold up to the amount of sweat (laughs) from me live and so when i was doing these bass spins in this music video um i i should have known that it was going to happen because uh i had already been through three straps with this problem but i like taped the strap on but i like didn't do it good enough okay. um and it like it pulled the, that bass was so heavy that green one that was heavier than these it was it was twice as heavy as these btbs that we have right right it was twice as heavy wow. um and it ripped right through the strap and the headstock broke off. <clears throat> I still have that base. It just sits in a case with a broken headstock. I showed pictures to the guys at Ibanez and they were like, it's unfixable. They're like, we can cut the wings off and give you a new center section. But he's like, at that point, you might as well just get a new base. And I was like, yeah. So I'll just like, I'm going to put it in a frame one day, you know, I'm going to bolt it to a frame and put it on the wall you know, broken base. Um, I remember that, actually. I, I seen a picture of that, but I'm not sure where I saw that picture. Either mine or Zach's Instagram. Zach yeah, took I, it was probably through picture. some form of social media, for sure. Yeah, and, like, that was cool because that was a five-string base with a five-string BTB with a dual truss rod, where these ones we have have a single truss rod. So, like, I really like that because it, especially for a five-string and the BTBs in such a wide neck, just right. having that ability to control it that much more um, and prevent the twist that does happen on really fat pieces of wood, you know? Right. right. Um, but yeah, man. So like I, I, I used to be all analog and now I totally am in, in love with the digital world. It's, right. it's finally starting to come to where it's almost unmistakable, almost in, in you know, like you can almost can't tell the difference now. Yeah, when it when manipulated correctly, right? I used to think people were crazy when they would listen to songs and be like, dude, I can tell that that is a Strat and I can tell that that's a Les Paul. I'd always be like, dude, you're crazy. Now I'm like, dude, that's a Les Paul. Dude, that's a Strat. Dude, that, that's a Schecter. Like, I can hear the active pickups in that. Like, I can hear that this dude's using a Kemper and not a head. Like, I'm that guy now, you know, but it takes all that years of developing. Right, right. And being around it. Right, I get it. I get it. Well, listen, man, I have kept you here long enough. Okay. I want to say thank you so very much oh, for thanks. coming on here and answering some questions here for for everyone. Um, those of you who follow my Patreon page, you will see this full extended interview with me and Alejandro. Uh, we, I totally got like ployed him on here. I was like, dude, it's going to be like 30 minutes, two hours later, whatever. But it's been two hours? 
No, it's it's been a while. It's been a long time. It's a little, it's a little bit after eight. It's a little bit after eight. So it's almost almost been two hours, pal. Nice, man. Nice, nice, dude. Uh, but this is a good look into it. This yeah, is a nice man. in-depth look. Um, and I really appreciate you taking your time uh, to talk this stuff out with me, man. Likewise, dude. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So make sure to follow Alejandro at Alejandro at Alejandro underscore underscore Mena underscore underscore and to check out his band concrete dream they have an awesome song called contagion out now um the music video is so legit i love it thank you so much for coming on here man thank you brother and welcome back all right so that was awesome getting to catch up with alejandro he's so cool man he has made me feel like he's made me blush so many times with just telling me um, all the nice things that he says to me. So um, I know, again, how just how important he holds the saying yes to the gig um, up in his list of requirements there for for, you know, pushing his career forward. Yeah. Um, it's just a necessary part. Um, and I've watched him grow, you know, and that's another thing that we've spoken about on other episodes, too, is, you know, you start off small. And then you grow and you, you know, you learn something and then you push yourself and then you grow. And and he was just a bass player in a band. And I've watched him become a sick guitar player and a super awesome vocalist. And on top of all of that, he's a really, really good guy. Yeah. Like if he was all of those things and an asshole, I wouldn't have wanted him in this band. And if, you know, and, and I'm sure there's people who think that I'm an asshole, you know, um, but, you know, if people think you're an asshole, you obviously don't want to work with them anyway. Um, but, you know, but you just got to do your best. Like I said earlier, like you can't make everyone happy all the time. But if you're working with someone and you see potential in someone that you want to collaborate with, put the extra effort in, Absolutely. you know, ask yeah. them for their phone number, reach out to them, wish people a happy new year. There's a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that I don't care. They do get the Merry Christmas text. They do get the Happy Birthday text. They do get, you know, um, the the Happy New Year text. You know, if they're like my horror punk fam, they get the Happy Halloween text, you know? Text or answer any of this. <laughs> well, it's just it's that's one of those things that I do for some people, you know, the people who I I and and I showed my son yesterday. I have eighteen hundred and twenty-five phone numbers in my phone. Wow. Eighteen hundred and twenty-five. Now I don't know talk to all those people all the time, but so many of those numbers come from just being on the road, meeting people, getting sound guys' phone numbers, getting opening bands' phone numbers, getting headlining bands' phone numbers, getting, you know, like, whatever, meeting anyone. I really think that is a main uh, a main tool for anyone, any business, anyone trying to make a name for themselves. They really have to learn is your email list and your phone number list is the most important thing. Because obviously, as we see, certain things can just be vanished and you won't have them anymore. So those connections need to be, (laughs) no, those connections need to be real. And those are the people who are going to support you. Those are the hundred to 200 people who are going to buy your album when it comes out. Yeah. And like 
all you need is a hundred true fans, you know, like out of everything, right? I, I read so many books on marketing and I constantly like uh just I, I send Holly screenshots constantly of all the, the marketing books and everything I'm reading. And so many of like the those marketing tips, they are they are a hundred percent the same for being in a band as it is working for a fortune 500 company yeah. you know you want to do the best you can and be a great human yeah when you when you go to business school or, or go to classes in college for business the first thing they describe is the the value or what, what a widget is and because they can't tell you what you're going to what you're going to sell or what you're going to make your business out of they can only teach you business so the idea and concept of business is good for everything it's a it's a blanket type of uh learning system and and, and it's economics right yeah you know what no one never understood when i was growing up is that like i always used to work in pizzerias right i don't know it's just like a thing that all guys and bands in new jersey everyone works at a pizzeria right and I just used to notice that bands used to sell their T-shirts for $10. Yeah. They used to sell their CDs for $10. And you know what else was $10? A pizza. A pizza. Yeah. So, like, I would tell people, like, they're like, how are you going to make money? I'm like, well, pizza places make money. Like, a product is a product, right? Yeah, I, I know that when you buy a CD, you can only, you can consume it, you know, infinite amount of times. But it doesn't mean you can't sell it. You know, and what they what you can't consume an infinite amount of times is that feeling of being at a live show, which we all miss right now. But like that's your pizza pie is that live show. You know, that's your ten dollar admission is that person eating a pizza on a Friday night. You know what I mean? Like they're going out to your show on a Friday night. And I've always understood on how an album was just a widget which yeah. is, you know, it's just a pizza. It's just a, a pack of sneakers. It's just a hard drive. It's just a keyboard. It's just, it's just a, an object yeah. that if you put effort yeah. into it and build up clientele, they'll buy it. Yeah. And your clientele may or may not come from social media. It may or may not come from the show. The clients come from everywhere or people that want to buy your stuff come from everywhere. I, I was at the airport one time with my bass and talked to this lady who just thought it was so cool that she met a musician in the airport and we're friends now and she buys all my albums. So it's just like, that's how you make those connections. It's, you really have to be, uh, your, your, your analogy, a politician when it comes to like getting your music out there. The idealism of what a politician is, right. You know, not, not, not what the world shows us nowadays. <laughs> not what they've shown us they are <laughs> you know yeah um but what yeah we're supposed to we're supposed like it's kind of like mayoral status you know like you want to be if you want to be mayor of your town you want your people in your town to like you and you're going to yeah. do things for that and you're it's not just so you can be mayor it's yeah it's because you want to be mayor but it's also because you might actually like feel good about something and want to do good for someone like i love being the dude that gets to be all sweaty and sloppy and disgusting on stage and, bleh, and water all over the place and sweat and every time i head bang someone's like yeah <laughs> like it is what it is man i i got news for you <laughs> they love that they do. you know what i mean I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not being rude to them they're they're literally experiencing this show uh -huh. you know 
It's yeah. like when you go to see me on stage, it's like seeing Gallagher. 40. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like uh, it's like seeing Gallagher, you know, like just bring your raincoat. Yeah, bring That's your it. raincoat. You're fine. No, there's going to be a watermelon smashed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Gallagher show. Yeah. And like, and that's part of the experience, right? Like, that's what we want. Dude, has anyone ever been to a Guar concert? Like, oh my gosh. You yeah. show up in a white shirt. You don't wear a black shirt to a Guar concert. You know why? Yeah. Because you yeah. want to be covered in red and green gook by the end of the day. And then you want to frame that shirt on the wall, man. Like, I have some pictures of some friends <laughs> to a Guar show. Now, I, I do the exa exact opposite. I don't go to the front and I dress up like in pink and like a Barbie. And it's so awesome because nobody's dressed like that. And I took one of my girlfriends first time. She'd never heard of Gore before. Like, it's cool. We'll have fun. You'll, you'll enjoy it because it's so crazy. And she's like, okay. And we dressed in pink and black and we, and we were tall blondes, you know, and we're, you know, walking around with all these people. Came out of there with purple hair. It was really cool, actually. <laughs> we stood out for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I'm surprised you didn't come out of there with purple hair. Well, my a friend of mine who went with us, well, he got a, a ride home, but um, <laughs> he, he had you a didn't ride in the vet, huh? <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> he, ain't he ain't riding back with us. Um, he got there in a white shirt, of course, and I have a video of him taking off after everybody's cleared and it's just a pull of you know red stuff. And he he did a, a slide into the like to the stage like full on I and mean, he's just covered in blood mm -hmm. <laughs> i know gross <laughs> i got news for you i dropped I, I, that green <laughs> that green joker hat i wear that's my second one you know why because the first one fell off my head at a misfits uh, concert for about 35 seconds hit the ground i picked it up it was so goddamn dirty that. I've seen a guy so wasted he ate a pizza off of a of, off of a um, venue floor, uh, and everybody's trying to stop him. He's like, "No!" I'm like, you're so gross. You're just don't yeah. Even there ain't nothing that a venue has that I want to bring home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've worked. I've worked in my fair share of venues. Oh, how much would it take? How much? How much money? If somebody bet you to lick a venue floor, how much money would it take? So, <laughs> I have this singer from this band. Zero dollars, by the way. I would not do it. Oh, I would not do it. But I had this singer, Joe Vasta, from this band, Darrow Chemical Company. And there was one song. Um, every single night, he would get down on his hands and knees. And he would lick the floor or the stage, or the carpet, or whatever. I, Dude, he did it every single night while we were on tour. We did two, three tours like that? Yeah. Every single night, he would get down on his hands and knees, and he would just... <sighs> I mean, he wasn't so ever, he wasn't ever sober. Allen. Yeah, well, I'll tell you right now. Dude, if any... <laughs> Anybody who's watching this right now who knows Joe Vasta from Darrow Chemical Company knows that when you say Gigi Allen right after that, that you're like, oh, yeah. Like, okay. it makes sense. <laughs> like, Ramones, 
and murder junkies. It's it's you know, and Danzig and Ramones murder junkies Danzig down and misfits. That's like it's, that's that dude. Sorry, who whoever that guy is, I'm sorry, but it reminds me of something Gigi Allen would do. So yeah, and like I said, that's totally in his character. You know, yeah. he has Gigi Allen everything. I, we I, I, I once ran into Merle uh, Merle Allen randomly when uh, I think when I was with. When I was with Static X, we just happened to stop at this rest stop and it was Static X and Dope. And we ran into the murder junkies at like a flying J. Wow. Dude, it was random. It was so random. Yeah, that's crazy. <sighs> well, we are not trying to have a 17 hour podcast today. So we are going to see you all on episode eight when we get a little bit more into some of these base aspects of life you know what i mean um so i hope you guys enjoyed the interview with alejandro uh he's one of my dearest friends and uh we have more guests coming up and so hopefully uh you guys will like share subscribe follow holly on patreon at patreon.com slash holly west music and all things internet slash holly west music and you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dean Music Official. And all things on the web, on the web, on the interwebs, official Dean Music or Dean Music Official. Just type in one, figure it out. Um, <laughs> I hope everyone has a phenomenal start to this year. I know that it's been a little crazy, but I can guarantee you that the things that Holly and I have in store for you are going to make this year fly by. So thank you guys so much. I hope everyone has an awesome day. We'll see you soon. <laughs>